KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Allegations of workplace hostility, retaliation, and racial discrimination happening in the county public defender's office. I'm Harrison Patino, in for Jade Heineman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Workplace ethics violations are highlighted in a recent wrongful termination suit at the county public defender's office. The heat is on. They have an affirmative obligation to figure out what it is that was going on that persuaded the jury to award a multi-million dollar verdict. And in our weekend preview, we have a Oaxacan festival, piano music, and some Scandinavian art. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Whistleblowers alerted San Diego County about alleged poor treatment of employees in its public defender office in late 2020. That was two years before a jury awarded $2.6 million to an ex-employee earlier this month in his wrongful termination suit. KPBS investigative reporter Amitha Sharma explains. In November 2020, at least two whistleblowers filed complaints against the public defender's office with San Diego County. The complaints alleged retaliation, hostility, racial insensitivity, and conflict of interest. The allegations followed the firings of three deputy public defenders, including Zach Davina, who earlier this month won a $2.6 million judgment in a wrongful termination lawsuit against the county. County spokesman Mike Workman told KPBS in an email that the county's Office of Ethics and Compliance investigated the whistleblower complaints, but Workman said the probe was suspended when officials learned that two of the three fired deputy public defenders might sue. Dan Eaton is a San Diego legal analyst. Once litigation begins, it is not uncommon for whatever investigation is in process to be put on hold, which is what the county essentially did, because the litigation has a whole different set of rules for finding out what happened. This raises questions as to whether anything has been done over the past two years about the alleged hostile work environment inside the public defender's office. KPBS asked the county for details on the investigation. When was the probe launched? How many people were interviewed and when was it suspended? The county refused to comment, but Eaton says county officials had choices. The county doesn't have to put an investigation on hold. 
Here's what we do know about the investigation. Lawyer Chris Ludmer represents ex-deputy public defenders Davina and Michelle Reynoso, who has also filed a wrongful termination suit. Ludmer says he notified the county on November 24, 2020, that litigation was pending. That was about three weeks after the whistleblowers filed their complaints. Ludmer says the county never contacted his clients for an interview about the complaints. However, the county did forward the complaints to public defender management. Testimony during Davina's wrongful termination trial revealed that in early December 2020, a supervisor in the public defender's office said in a letter to the county that an internal HR investigation report had determined the whistleblower complaints were unfounded. That's the same report public defender Randy Mize testified during trial that he signed knowing it contained false statements by supervisors in his office. I'll bet 10 to 1 that that decision to put the investigation on hold was dictated by the lawyers in the litigation. New York University law professor Stephen Gillers says an employer is obligated to investigate allegations of discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. In other words, the law doesn't change just because an employer has been sued. Because the concern of the organization is to make sure that things are being done properly, whatever the legal fallout in the litigation. In Davina's case, the jury agreed that as a gay man, he was discriminated against for his gender expression. At one point, Davina was asked whether he was too flamboyant and animated during his tenure review panel. The jury also found that Davina faced retaliation. Gillers says the pressure only intensifies on a workplace to investigate when jurors agree with the plaintiff, such as they did in Davina's wrongful termination lawsuit. That jury also found that the county did nothing to prevent discrimination and retaliation against Davina. The heat is on. They have an affirmative obligation to figure out what it is that was going on that persuaded the jury to award a multi-million dollar verdict. Another verdict may be on the way. Former Deputy Public Defender Reynoso's case, which is similar to Davina's, is scheduled for trial next month. And she joins us now with more. Amitha, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Harrison. Amitha, you ended your story with information about a second wrongful termination suit filed by another former deputy public defender. Remind us about that lawsuit and what the likelihood is that the county might settle that case. Like Davina, Michelle Reynoso, the other deputy public defender, complained about a senior supervisor named Sherry Stone. She, along again with other deputy public defenders in the office, had complained about Stone basically berating or demeaning a very well-respected trial lawyer in the office. And that came after he told public defender managers that they were alienating lawyers of color in the office. So, so Davina, Reynoso, and these other deputy public defenders wanted Stone to be demoted and they wanted her to receive diversity training. Stone was told about that complaint by a fellow supervisor. And then she ends up sitting on Reynoso's and Davina's tenure review panels. And as part of a decision-making process that led to their terminations. Now, beyond that, Reynoso is saying that her tenure review panel 
interrogated her. They questioned her harshly about her personal political beliefs and the work that she does during her private time for Black Lives Matters. She says that after the tenure review panel, she was told by a public defender supervisor that she was being terminated for that off-duty political work. I think there are a couple of issues for the county to weigh in deciding whether or not to settle Reynoso's case. Well, also included in the complaints alleged by the whistleblowers are conflicts of interest in the public defender's office. Can you tell us about that? After Davina and Reynoso and their colleagues complained to a supervisor about Stone's alleged racially insensitive comments, that supervisor emails Stone and basically says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And Stone's given the names through an email chain of who exactly made the complaint against her. So of course, Davina and Reynoso are included on that list. And then again, you have Stone sitting on both Davina's and Reynoso's tenure review panel after knowing that they were part of a group of deputy public defenders who had asked that she be demoted and receive diversity training. I spoke with legal ethicist Stephen Gillers at New York University Law School about Stone sitting on Reynoso's and Davina's tenure review panels. He said this. That supervisor should not have been on the tenure review committee. That just knowingly violates what I would call law office administration 101. You don't ask someone who has reason to dislike another person to sit in judgment of the performance of that other person's job. Amitha, you did a story a few weeks ago regarding Randy Mize acknowledging on the stand that he signed an investigative report into ex-deputy public defender Zach Davina's firing, despite knowing the report contained false statements. You spoke to a legal ethicist about that admission. What did you learn? Well, Gillers told me that Mice signing that investigative report is really quite serious. He said that because Mice is the head of the public defender's office, there should be a review of him. And because the act affects the overall credibility of the office, especially before judges, no matter how honest the line deputy public defenders are, the image of that office has been tainted by Mize's admission. He had more to say about this. Even if that signing was not under oath, that alone would warrant professional discipline under the rules in every American jurisdiction. Uh, knowing falsity in that professional context uh, warrants discipline. I guess he could say that he tried to make amends by admitting it uh, in court, but nonetheless, it's a serious act. and. I think he has to worry about the consequences. It's really anyone's guess what those consequences are. And at this point, we really have no idea how the County Board of Supervisors views Mize's admission on the stand that he signed this investigative report knowing that it contained false statements by his supervisors. We, we don't know if they are upset about this, if If they plan to discuss it, we just have no idea at this point. Well, putting aside the complaints filed by whistleblowers with San Diego County's Office of Ethics and Compliance, what do you know about deputy public defenders taking their complaints to management in their own office? 
Well, Harrison, I actually spoke with Davina about that issue right after the verdict came out in his case, I think a day or two later. And I asked him about what kind of reaction deputy public defenders get if and when they take their concerns about the work environment there to supervisors in the office. And he said that supervisors seem stuck in their management style, that they don't want to turn a page for the better, and that deputy public defenders basically feel this way. Ignored, told that their complaints aren't real, being made afraid to even make the complaint in the first place. Anytime there are complaints, they're not taken seriously. Internal panels, external panels that are making recommendations, just like I did in my case, are shut down consistently habitually and perpetually because that management refuses to be introspective. So, Amitha, what's next for the story? Well, in the course of reporting the stories that I have on the Public Defender's Office, uh, several people have contacted me about issues that continue to face the office. So I imagine that there will be many more follow-ups. I've been speaking with KPBS investigative reporter Amitha Sharma. Amitha, thanks. Thank you, Harrison. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Harrison Patino, in for Jade Heinemann. For our weekend preview, we have a Oaxacan festival, piano music, palm trees, and some Scandinavian art. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Harrison. Thanks for having me. Of course. So first, let's start with this Oaxacan Galagetza Festival at the San Diego Museum of Art. What can you tell us? This is inspired by a festival. It's held annually in Oaxaca, and it's in conjunction with one of the San Diego Museum of Art's current exhibits, the Sergio Hernandez Embers of Oaxaca exhibition. Hernandez is a Oaxacan artist, and the works in the exhibition really draw on this indigenous Mesoamerican roots, the myth in the paintings, as well as the imagery and the materials that he uses. It's been on view for a while, but it closes in a few weeks, and this festival is totally free. It includes admission to the museum. So if you haven't had a chance to check out the exhibition, now's a great time. There'll be traditional dances and music from the region and some art making activities as well, and also a market. And it's on Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. So up next, we have a concert at the new Guggenheim Theater at UC San Diego Park and Market. It's the first in a new series of events called Intersections. What can we expect from this debut performance? Yeah, this is hosted by Yale Strom, who is a scholar and a musician himself. And they're bringing in three piano players who all play in different styles. There's Irving Flores, who plays Latin jazz. There's Tina Chong, who plays classical. And then Joshua White, who will be playing jazz. And we're listening to Joshua White. This is him playing at the Copley Symphony Hall in 2016. One cool thing about this show is that these three musicians have never performed together before. I mean, I don't know if there are a lot of opportunities for three piano players in a concert booking, but I'm here for it. It sounds fun. 
Okay, so let's talk about some theater now. New Village Arts has a new production of The Ferryman. What's it about? Yeah, this is a play by English playwright Jez Butterworth. Uh, He wrote it in 2017, and it is set in 1981 in Northern Ireland during the Heart of the Troubles. And it weaves together multiple storylines that are all somehow connected to one farm's annual harvest. And it has a huge cast, including Joy Yvonne Jones as Caitlin Carney. And this is going to be the first production in the newly named Dea Hurston New Village Arts Center. Um, This weekend, they're still in preview. So this is a chance to see it at a lower cost. The shows are 8 p.m. tonight and Saturday night and 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And New Village Arts did warn that the script has adult content. So they're advising that it's not suitable for kids under the age of 15. Well, we'll have more child-friendly stuff later on in the segment. But artist Perry Vasquez has a new exhibition opening on Saturday called Some Palms. What can we expect? So this is at Quint Gallery in La Jolla, and it's a solo exhibition of Perry Vasquez's palm tree paintings. And first, I'll say that he is a super versatile artist, and we got to see a lot of his breadth as an artist in his San Diego Art Prize exhibition recently. Um, Really intricate drawings, poetry, painting. But since 2017, he's also been painting a bunch of portraits of palm trees. Some of them are straightforward. Some of them are on fire. And I really love what happens when artists do that sort of repetitive series work, when they can really dwell in a subject and or a format and play with it. And you can see it for yourself at Quint on Gerard through February 18th. And on this Saturday, they're doing a morning reception from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Okay, so now we're going firmly into the Scandinavian portion of this segment. Broadway's Frozen tour is in town. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Have Have you? I have not seen it. <laughs> so I have a daughter who is in seventh grade. So she's too cool for Frozen now, but she certainly was not. When the movie came out when she was four, we listened to the soundtrack so much. I definitely had a love-hate relationship with it. But I did. I took her with me to see the Broadway musical this week. We both enjoyed it. It was really entertaining. The special effects were great. And I guess enough time had passed that I wasn't sick of the songs anymore. The songwriters, in fact, the songwriters from the original movie, they wrote a handful of new songs for the stage production, mostly to give us more backstory of the family and kind of flesh that out. And they also let us dwell in some of the more theatrical elements. And this is one of those new songs. I'm saving you from the earworms of the Frozen smash hits. This one's called Huga, and it was kind of a ridiculous side plot about that Danish concept of, of coziness, Huga. But allow me to translate Huga. Huga means comfortable. Higa means cozy. Higa means sitting by the fire with your cheeks all rosy. Higa, 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 higgly, 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 I will translate more. All right, well, we have one more Nordic-themed event. This one is a concert called Scandinavian Winter. That sounds pretty Huga. That's correct. Good job. So this is a concert from the Greater San Diego Music Coterie, and it's conducted by Dr. Angela Young. And they're performing on Sunday afternoon at 2.30. They'll do some Sibelius, Grieg, and also this piece by Niels Gatha. It's called Efterklange auf Ossian. 
right, you can find the details on these and more arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thanks, Harrison. Have a good weekend. Have a Hugo weekend. <laughs> KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.